Hello, and welcome to the BS Book Club. I am your host, Barnaby Jones, the author of BS vs. The Gods, a book that I was forced into writing by those two miscreants known as Blake Tanner and Scotty Moore. Today we will be reading from chapters 1 through 5 of BS vs. The Gods, and if you stick around you may hear a little bit of commentary from yours truly about the process of writing the book. You don't have to stick around. It, it's okay. I Say don't pay me for this. Enjoy. Chapter 1. Broken. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please follow on this way. The tour guide called to the latest group of tourists to grace the Birmingham Institute of Mythology. His voice droned on, exhausted as he stares at the clock. This was the last tour of his shift. For all you Marvel fans, get out those cameras as we enter this following area dedicated to Norse mythology. <laughs> Total divas, that lot, a woman quietly comments from the back of the group. She's tall and slender, dressed in a long red dress, her beauty a stark contrast to the group of exhausted tourists who march forward into the room dedicated to Norse mythology. A man stares at her until a firm slap from his wife pulls him back to reality. I see you're enjoying the exhibits. The woman stares at her husband furiously. What? I was just looking at her dress. He snaps back as the two begin to quietly argue. The slender woman overhears them and smirks. Uh, perhaps we can focus on the tour? The tour guide exhaustedly yells from the front. Now, as I was saying, these chains were created by a local blacksmith representing the chains which the gods used to bind Loki for several years. He would eventually break free and set forth the events of Ragnarok. Hmm. The tall woman smirks, passing by another couple. Fool. I would never let anyone bind me. She smirks down at the woman staring up at her lustfully. Although, I'm sure I could make an exception. Are you fucking serious? The woman's girlfriend pulls her significant other away and the two begin to argue. The tall woman seems to leave a trail of arguing couples behind her, her beauty causing jealousy in some and immense lust in others. Onwards, people! We've got just a few more rooms to go. The tour guide sighs as he attempts to corral the sea of angry tourists behind him. His day had been exhausting, and this woman was just causing more problems. He couldn't wait to get off and go home. He just needed to relax. Note from the BS. Uh, hey guys, uh, just wanted to remind you that this book is still about us. Not sure why the author has such a boner for this tour guide, but whatever. We promise we'll be in the next chapter. This is just setting the scene, laying the groundwork, uh, fluffing us before the money shot. You know the deal. Now, on to my favorite room and my favorite myths. The guide's voice actually seems to liven up as the group steps into the final room, a grand room featuring large pillars and images of gods and demons decorating the walls. This was the room dedicated to Greek mythology, and it featured several replicas of the relics from that era. The myths of the Grecians are some of the most powerful and memorable in today's society. We all know the tales of Heracles and Zeus, Ares and Poseidon. As the guide says these names, spotlights flash upon their images on the wall. 
These gods have persisted through time and persisted in our collective unconscious because they, in my opinion, are where we had the birth of modern stories. The birth of the epic battles between gods that we see today. The birth of heroes and villains. The crowd had grown silent at this point, staring at the slender woman. Her attitude had turned from confidence to stoicism. Her smile had faded away. Her breath slowed. She had once stood in the back of this group, but now she stands in the front, leading this mass of humanity behind her. Every member of the museum stared at her in awe. Well, the tour guide stares awkwardly at the group of men and women who seem to be replicating the woman's every move. It's good to see that you've all calmed down. Now to look at some of the relics of the time. We, of course, have Aegis, the shield that belonged to Zeus. His voice had grown weak, nervous at the crowd staring at him in unison. And here we have the trident of Poseidon, uh, Pandora's box. These are not real, the woman quietly remarks, staring at the various items surrounding her. Well, yes, he looks back at her, confused. They are, in fact replicas these items are simply myths to be honest they don't actually exist what is this she stares at a necklace in a nearby case that's um the necklace of harmonia he responds walking towards the case what does it do her finger slides down the case gracefully as she turns to make eye contact with him i uh well no one had ever asked him about this object before. The fact that he was currently terrified to the bone didn't help his lack of study on the object. Uh, some people claimed that the owner would have misfortune on their head. Others claimed it possessed the very spirit of Harmonia himself. And are you its owner? She smirks, staring down at the small man. Well, te technically, technically it belongs to the museum, not anyone... She smashes the glass, grabbing the necklace. Alarms sound overhead as the guide screams in response. Not anyone in particular. Oh, that's funny. The woman growls, approaching him slowly. Because I foresee much, much misfortune in your future. But don't worry. It won't last long. With a snap of her finger, the army of tourists behind her descend on the tour guide, mauling him like a pack of animals. The woman stares at the necklace like a wolf hungrily glaring at a wounded rabbit. Suddenly, a bit of the guide's blood lands on her dress, and she sighs. Stop! She snaps again, and the group jump off of him, staring at her like expectant puppies. Look, just get out. I'm through with you. They run into the streets covered in blood as police cars arrive at the door. Oh, this is why I wore the red dress today. So is that who you are? Misfortune? The guide yells in his final breaths. The woman turns around smirking, holding the necklace in her fist. Misfortune? She laughs. No, you mortals get these things all wrong. This necklace has nothing to do with, with curses or misfortune, but it has everything to do with me getting back to what I do best. Because Harmony, 
She crushes the necklace in her hand, breaking it in two. Harmony is dead. Chapter two. It's time. What, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. A voice cries through a small apartment in the fair city of Birmingham, Alabama. An upstairs neighbor bangs on the floor, attempting to shut the voice up, but to no avail. It's time. It's time for a load. It's time for a load. A load of BS. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, a load of BS, the greatest show on the planet, featuring the two best damn men of all time. The bearded man delivering this long-winded introduction smirks, turning to his partner in crime. And I'm talking about he, the B to the L-A-K-E. That's right, it's Blake Tanner. That's right, Blake responds, popping open a bottle of whiskey. And over there, it's the guy who does cool things. It's the S, Scotty Moore. Not the best at introductions, are ya? Scotty laughs as Blake takes a swig of his beverage, a mixture of whiskey and Mountain Dew Livewire. Look, I had a lot of cough medicine before this. Blake finishes his drink in one as the two begin A Load of BS, their weekly podcast series. The two talk about the week's events, play games, and Scotty attempts to pitch a movie about a kung fu master that rides into battle on a unicorn. So... Not only is the unicorn's horn on fire, the guy has a giant sword that's also on fire. Scotty attempts to entice Blake, whose mind is working overtime, in an attempt to play devil's advocate to Scotty's ideas. Wouldn't that just set the unicorn's mane on fire? Blake expounds. And you know where that mane leads to, Scotty? Not a good place. Your ninja warrior's about to have a flaming dick just because you wanted a cool horn. The main is fireproof. Scotty responds matter-of-factly. Fireproof and black. In fact, the whole unicorn is black. It looks metal as fuck. It's a giant unicorn covered in fire and black. But the important question here is, who is our kung fu master? Well, Blake rubs his chin pensively. I'm glad you asked. Because there's only one man with enough kung fu prowess to take on this role, and that's the master of Shaq Fu himself. It's Shaquille O'Neal, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my god, Shaq! Scotty laughs as the two continue on with the show. By the end of the recording, Blake has finished his whiskey, and Scotty smiles with the work they've done. Alright, just gotta export that audio, and we'll be on our way, my friend. On our way? Blake groans, standing. It's midnight, Scotty. Where exactly are we going? Why, Blake Tanner, I never! Scotty comments with a faux gasp. It's the day of celebration, the most magical day of the year. Uh-huh. Blake stares at Scotty. You seriously don't know? Scotty laughs, grabbing a drink from the fridge. The inventor of the holiday doesn't even remember what day it is? What? Blake's eyebrow furrows in confusion as Scotty points towards the calendar, which reads December 3rd, Justin Longday. Blake's eyes grow wide as a smile creeps across his face. It's Justin Longday! 
That's right, ladies and gentlemen, as midnight crept across the clock, so too did Justin Longday creep into our hero's hearts. The holiday that Blake invented long ago had come around once again. It was time to watch heavyweights, enjoy some Mac versus PC commercials, but first, it's Dave and Buster's time, baby! Scotty says with a smile, going to his room. Isn't Dave and Buster's closed? Blake calls from the other room, sitting on the couch. No? Scotty nervously changes clothes. They're totally open. All night. Forever. It's a new thing they're doing. A note from the BS. This is not a new thing Dave and Buster's is doing. They close at midnight. I I just googled it. Just suspend your disbelief for like one second. Blake sits on the couch browsing Reddit as Scotty gets ready in the other room. Scotty took forever to get ready in these kinds of situations. He scrolls across a post with the headline, Confused Mob Assault Museum Curator, and clicks through. Uh, Scotty? Blake calls from the living room, concerned with the content of the article. Scotty opens the door to his bedroom, and the chorus of John Cena's Bad Bad Man fills the entire apartment. Blake plugs his ears, attempting to shout over Cena's lyrics. Uh, maybe turn that down? Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's a bit loud. I probably should turn it down. Scotty slumps back into his room with a smirk on his face. Blake continues to read as the audio quiets when suddenly... Turn down for what? Little John screams, shaking the walls of the apartment and causing Blake to jump. He puts down his phone and enters Scotty's room where a fully dressed Scotty is dancing to the music. Blake turns off the song with a heavy sigh. What? Scotty turns around, staring at Blake. I've been waiting to leave for 20 minutes. At this point, Blake had had this argument so many times, he was on autopilot. How long have you been dressed? Well, physically, I clearly look like a million bucks. Scotty comments, grabbing his jacket. But I need to feel mentally like a million bucks, too. That's what the music's for, to get psyched up. You can get psyched up in the car, Blake urges. Come on. The two exit to Scotty's car and make their way to the Dave and Busters, an annual Justin Longday tradition. Little did these boys know that this Justin Longday was going to be one they wouldn't soon forget. Chapter 3. Truck Stop The opening guitar chords of Warren's Cherry Pie blast out of Scotty's car speakers as the duo head towards their local Dave and Busters. Blake headbangs as Scotty attempts to drum on the steering wheel while driving at the same time. The duo sing out of key as they continue their path down the road to a night much deserved. The podcast had taken up so much of their time that they never really had any decent time together anymore. The two missed being alone with each other. Note from the BS... Okay, so yes, we missed each other. The author just doesn't know how to phrase that normally. We're just two bros hanging out on a mandate. That's what we call them. We put out mandates for mandates. It's a thing. Also, please, no Blake x Scotty slash fiction, please. Oh, shit! Blake screams as Scotty swerves off the road, nearly hitting an animal. The creature was strange, though, unlike anything the two had ever seen before. It was small and hairless, nearly resembling a dog. Its owner was chasing after it into the street. What the hell is that thing? Blake comments as they watch the man nearly get hit by a semi as he bounds across the road. Uh, Probably just the guy's cat. 
Scotty comments, catching his breath. The two get back on the road, driving away. If Scotty had waited just a few more seconds, however, he would have watched as the creature sprouted wings and flew away, something no cat would ever do. So, what you're saying is, Blake comments as the two sit at the local Dave and Buster's bar waiting for a waitress. Vampires versus wizards. Scotty's eyes grow wide as he explains his next book idea to Blake. You see, they're both immortal groups destined to fight to the death. And the portal to the wizarding world? It's a mirror. Because vampires don't have reflections? Blake attempts to piece together Scotty's idea. Exactly! So the vampires attempt to breed a halfling vampire to go into their camp. You see, a halfling vampire has a reflection. Scotty continues, despite a very confused waitress staring down at the two. But the halfling vampire is also half-wizard, so they've got this whole inner conflict thing going on it. Can I take your order? The waitress comments as Scotty stares up, slightly embarrassed. Uh, yeah, do you guys have Lagavulin 16? Scotty comments, asking for his favorite scotch. I believe so. Would you like some? The waitress asks. It's 25 for a glass. Give me your cheapest bourbon with Diet Pepsi. A disappointed Scotty remarks, his wallet betraying him. The waitress writes down the order and looks to Blake. Uh, can I just get a truck stop, honey? Blake asks with a smile. The waitress returns his smirk and writes his order, walking away. Did you... Scotty stares confused at his friend. Did you just call her honey? What? No! Blake returns Scotty's confusion. That's the name of the beer! It's a truck stop honey! Oh, I definitely thought you were just, like, casually flirting with our waitress. Scotty comments as the waitress brings them their beverages. Thanks! Thank you, honey! Blake calls to the waitress, smirking at Scotty. The two look towards the TV to see the headline, Strange Creature Killed on Interstate. You don't suppose that's the same thing we saw? Blake comments as the news shows photo of a strange, hairless creature bloodied on the side of the road. My baby! A sobbing redneck, the apparent owner of the beast, cries into the camera. I just got my baby back earlier today and now she's dead! Close-up shots of the creature's hideous face are shown, featuring fangs and a pointed snout. That's one weird-looking cat, Scotty comments, downing his drink in one. He sighs and pulls out his Dave & Buster's player's card, standing to go play games. Well, you have fun, buddy. I got tickets to win. As Scotty walks away, Blake continues to watch the strange story unfurl. The creature managed to fling itself towards the window of an oncoming truck, sending it careening off the road. The driver of said truck was apparently killed in the collision, hitting a light pole. So, a man died, and yet the news is about that little rat thing? Blake comments to the bartender. People die every day. The bartender wipes a glass, staring up at the screen, the feed showing a close-up on the beast's mangled body. You don't see that every day. Go! Go! Go, you son of a bitch! Scotty screams as he stares bullets into the game that he's played for the past 30 minutes. A game with a very simple concept. Drop the ball into the hole that says jackpot. Oh, you motherfucker! The ball didn't, much like it hadn't for the past 30 minutes, fall into the hole that said jackpot. Scotty groaned as he reached into his pocket for his player's card, unsatisfied with the 15 tickets the game gave as consolation. He swipes his card when he hears the machine next to him scream out, 
Monster Jackpot! Scotty's eyes grow wide as he angrily looks to his left. The machine was spitting out tickets left and right. It's then that he looks up to see the woman playing the game. A beautiful woman with long, dark hair. Problem? She smirks as Scotty stares at her. She walks towards him slowly. She moves her hand over his, readying to press the ball drop button. It's really not that hard, darling. She presses down and the ball shoots straight into the jackpot hole. It's a little hard. Scotty half moans as tickets begin spraying out of his machine. She smirks at him and pulls out a business card, placing it in the front pocket of Scotty's pants. Meet me at the corner of 5th and 18th. She smiles wickedly, patting the pocket where she left her business card. When you get there, call me. You'll be in for a treat. She turns and walks away, clad in leather and a ripped warrant shirt. Scotty could almost hear Cherry Pie playing again in his mind as he stared at her. He gathers up the tickets, laying at his feet and runs off, thousands of tickets trailing behind him. He knew what he had to do. Chapter 4. Speakeasy. Blake, 5th and 18th, we have to go now. Now! This is urgent! Scotty urges Blake, who turns around to see his friend wearing novelty oversized sunglasses and holding a four-foot stuffed minion, prizes one from his jackpot tickets. Okay, getting this stuff was more urgent, but this is also urgent. You know I've got questions before we can go. Blake stands, staring, worried for his friend. Ugh, fine. Scotty sighs, pulling out a second pair of oversized novelty sunglasses from his back pocket. I got you a pair, too. Good. Blake smirks, placing on the glasses. Let's go. And off our heroes went, their car barreling down the highway towards downtown Birmingham. The two bobbed their heads in unison to the beat of the music as their oversized sunglasses protect them from a future which at the time seemed so bright. Seventh Avenue, Blake quietly calls out the window as Scotty drives down 18th Street. Sixth, 5th uh, Avenue, 5th Avenue, Blake calls out suddenly as Scotty quickly screeches to a halt, smashing the front of the car up onto a nearby curb, destroying its front bumper. Well, we're here, Scotty comments as Blake looks over, breathing heavily. The sudden stop seemed to jumpstart Blake's pulse as the two exit the car. Wait, shit, do you have a quarter to feed the meter? Yeah, I don't think that's going to be a problem, Blake comments as he looks down to the busted parking meter bent underneath Scotty's bumper. Scotty steps onto the sidewalk as Blake leans down and collects some of the coins falling out of the busted meter. I don't see her, Scotty says solemnly. He looks out for the attractive woman as Blake walks up to him, pockets jingling with change. Oh, wait, she said to call her. Scotty pulls out the mysterious woman's card from his pocket, beginning to put the number into his phone. Suddenly, however, the scream disappears into a sea of static and eventually turns black. Blake pulls out his phone to the same result. The two stare into the darkness of their phones, confused. So, that's definitely a bad omen, right? Blake places his phone back into his pocket as Scotty does the same. Yeah, probably need to get out of here. Scotty comments, walking back to his car. As he steps off the sidewalk, however, he notices a phone booth staring at him across the street. It's lit up vibrantly, a stark contrast to the rest of the dark world. But then again, 
She was really hot. Scotty. Blake warns as Scotty walks over to the pile of quarters laying beside the broken meter, picking up a few coins. He smiles, rubbing the coinage in his hands as he struts across the road. Blake shakes his head as he follows his friend across. Scotty, you know this is a bad idea. Necessity is the mother of invention, Blake Tanner. Scotty smiles as he opens the door to the phone booth, inserting his coins. I don't think that means what you think it means. Blake comments, leaning against the phone booth. Scotty's fingers tremble as he enters the number. Blake sighs, pulling out his phone again, attempting to get it to turn on. Damn it, I had a full battery. Holy shit! Blake hears Scotty exclaim from within the phone booth. He turns around to see the inside of the phone booth has turned into a doorway. Blake throws his phone back in his pocket as he opens the door to the phone booth, laughing. Are you serious? Blake's eyes grow wide as Scotty places a hand on his shoulder. The two enter into a secret bar hidden away from the outside world. Only the cream of the crop could enter this den of high-class society. Blake looks over to Scotty. Bigger on the inside? Hell on Z, motherfucker! Scotty smirks as they enter, attempting to mingle with this inner circle. As they strut up to the bar, Scotty's giddiness gets the best of him. I knew this was a good idea. This is some serious James Bond shit, man. Bond? We are way beyond Bond. An austere older gentleman smiles to the duo as he wipes down the bar. He'd been here longer than any other bartender, waitress, or patron. He stands, stroking his beard. So, what can I get you, gentlemen? Well, what have you got? Blake asks, staring at their selection. Oh, we got everything. The man smirks, pressing a button which opens several extra liquor cabinets hidden behind him. Blake nearly faints in response. Okay. Blake holds back tears as he inhales sharply. He needed to savor this moment. Let's, let's start this off slow. Give me the best beer you've got. Ha <laughs> ha, only the finest brew for you, my friend. The bartender smiles as he pours the light beverage into a frosty glass. This recipe was said to have been created by a giant, and then taught to a dwarf, only to be delivered to a rogue like yourself. Whatever you say, man. Blake smiles as he sips the beer. It's the most delicious beverage to ever hit Blake Tanner's lips. He stares at it in awe as the gray-bearded bartender turns to Scotty. What about you, big man? He smiles widely, wiping off a glass. Wait, let me guess. Whiskey. Scotty stares at him, confused, as the man guffaws. Oh, come on, you act like that red beard of yours don't give it away. Here, try this on for size. Scotty watches as the bartender pulls from his top shelf the most exquisite bottles of scotch, bourbon, and various other liquors. He pours all of them into a glass before topping it with 151 and lighting it aflame. Scotty stares at the mystical concoction, dumbfounded. How much is this? Scotty asks nervously, still reaching for the glass. The bartender looks at him with a smirk as he could tell the temptation was taking over the hero. Put it on my bill, Rebus. A familiar voice calls from behind Scotty. He turns to see the beautiful woman from earlier, tracing his shoulders with her fingers and sitting beside him, blowing out the flame. What? Just a small price to pay for 
A whole lot of fun. Fun? Scotty's voice cracks as he sips down the drink. What kind of fun? Don't play dumb with me. Drink up. She smirks as she tips the glass into Scotty's mouth, forcing him to down the drink in one. He coughs slightly as she picks him up from the bar and leads him to a back room. Rebus, I'll be back later. No problem, dear. Rebus calls after her as Blake attempts to follow his friend. The bartender grabs him suddenly and sits him down. One more beer, my friend? Yes, please. Drink along with the BS. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Scotty Moore about to take over this audiobook. Just wanting to let you know, if you want to try that whiskey mashup cocktail thing that Rebus just made, here's the recipe. This is a drink known as the mistake, and you'll know why it's called that just about as soon as I read the ingredients list. You need a half ounce of bourbon, whiskey, scotch, tequila, and also Jägermeister. A half ounce each. You don't get to choose. You need all five of those. I'm sorry. You need a fourth ounce of Bacardi 151, an ounce of pineapple juice, ounce of grenadine, two ounces of sweet and sour. I showed this recipe to a bartender once and she wept openly. All right, step one. You're going to fill a shaker with some little cold boys. That's what I call ice. You know, those little frozen water things. Anyway, step two. You're going to slowly realize that this drink is called the mistake for a reason as you just pour all all of that liquor into the shaker. Like, all of it. Wait, wait, hold on. Not the, fi- not the 151. Don't. Okay, you already added the 151. My bad. Okay, shit. Just get get more 151. Step three. Try to justify all of your decisions you've made thus far by making it healthy with pineapple juice. It, it don't work. It's not healthier, but you do you. You do you, boo. Step four. Put grenadine sweet and sour and resign yourself to the fact that you're not going to wake up, you know, exactly happy tomorrow. If you do wake up tomorrow. Step five, put the lid on the shaker and just fucking go hog wild on that baby. Just shake it up and down, my boy. Just get it. All right. Step six, strain into a fancy ass glass because you fucking deserve it, you little alcoholic, you. Uh, Step seven, layer that 151 across the top. Light it on fire. Step eight, now fuck it. Listen, I know we've been having fun here. And I know everything I've done thus far has been kind of jokey. But blow out the fucking... Like, I'm not kidding. Blow out the fire before you try to drink this. If if you're playing with fire and alcohol, blow out the fire. That's all I've got to say about that. And then step nine, obviously, just drink the shit. Alright, you guys have fun with the rest of the book. I'm going to go back to the BS cave. Chapter five. Cash in the back. So, what is this place? Scotty asks as the woman tosses him into a back room. The room is filled with smoke and various suited figures line the walls, drinking and telling stories. As Scotty enters, their conversations turn to hushed whispers about the strange individual who has just been brought in. It's my family's bar. She smiles, sitting in Scotty's lap. We've been here for years. And yet, no one ever seems to know that we exist. Oh, that's not exactly the best business plan, is it? Scotty laughs. When the rest of the room doesn't return that laugh, he awkwardly silences himself. 
Oh, believe me, doll. We have other ways of making money. She smirks, placing an arm around Scotty. Oh, Phil, could you be a sweetheart and bring me my bag? Sure thing, sis. Scotty looks up to see Phil walking across the room. He was a mountain of a man with a large beard and tattoos. It was then that Scotty realized he had seen Phil before. Somewhere recently. Aren't you that guy from the news? Scotty comments as Phil hands the woman her bag. The man seems put aback by the comment. The entire room grows silent as they hear the news of Phil's television debut. Phil? The woman asks, standing up off of Scotty's lap and getting in Phil's face. Despite his obvious size advantage, he seemed intimidated by her stare. What exactly were you doing on the news? Well, I... Phil's voice was deep, but showed innocence. Though he looked like a monster, he seemed like he'd never heard a fly. As the woman's gaze burns into Phil, tears suddenly rush down his face. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Phil, what is it? Another man asks, stepping between the woman and Phil. It's Phoebe. He sobs. Phoebe's dead. Meanwhile, in the bar, Blake has finished his fifth beer and asks Rebus for a glass of bourbon. Suddenly, a high-pitched laugh erupts from behind Blake. He turns to see a well-kempt man in a pink suit staring at him, laughing. The man downs his glass of wine and stands, walking towards Blake. Bourbon? Really? The man's voice was smooth and airy, wafting over Blake. You think that makes you a man, big boy? I think it's good shit and that's all that matters, Blake comments, attempting to ignore the suited gentleman. You know, a real man drinks wine. His voice continues behind Blake, taunting him. Hey, D, how about you leave the kid alone? Rebus comments, handing Blake his bourbon. Uh, don't you worry about him, kid. He's just drunk. Does this all the time. Well, I think this is going to be the last time he does it. Blake smirks, gulping down his entire glass in one. He turns to see D walking away, feeling triumphant in his mockery of Blake. So, you say real men drink wine, huh? Then why exactly is someone like you drinking it? Oh, the man laughs, turning back to Blake as the bar patrons begin to stand. The last time someone talked like that to D, it was a bloodbath. They didn't want to miss what happened next. Looks like kittens got claws. Well, let me ask you this. D smiles, getting in Blake's face. He snaps his fingers and two men appear from behind him, each holding a large paron. The two parons are filled to the top with red wine and D smiles as he takes one in his hand. Are you ready to be a man? A note from the BS. Yeah, so we didn't know what a paron was either. In fact, I literally had to Google it to figure out how to pronounce it. Um, but yeah, I apparently... It's just a watering can, but with wine. You know, it's like a real, real fancy beer bone. So, yeah, uh, I guess I guess fancy people can be trashy, too. So I learned that today. You're on, Blake comments, grabbing the other paron and lifting it to his mouth. Wait, 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 wait. Scotty comments, standing up. Who's Phoebe? 
That little rat thing from the news? Speaking of, what was that thing anyways? Uh, the woman turns to Scotty, looking concerned. It's just his cat, that's all. They were really close. Uh, would you mind fetching my bag so I could get a tissue for Phil here? Sure, Scotty comments, slightly perturbed that the woman that invited him here has begun ignoring him for something else. He walks over and fetches her bag, looking inside to discover... Nothing. The bag was completely empty. Um, yeah, there aren't any tissues in here. Just hand me the damn bag, she offers up quickly. He sighs and hands her the bag, only to watch as she pulls out lipstick, a wallet, and several other items that seemed impossible to fit into that small clutch. Finally, she sighs a sigh of relief as she pulls out a few tissues, handing them to Phil, who nearly destroys them with a clearing of his nose. Thanks, dear, she comments, handing the bag back to Scotty. He looks inside to discover the bag once again empty, despite her just refilling it with all of her items. The woman laughs quietly, watching Scotty's confusion. Just think of something you need, dear, and reach inside. Um... All right, he sighs, reaching inside. Despite seeing an empty bag not moments ago, Scotty feels something inside. He pulls his hand out in shock. In his hand were the items he felt he needed most tonight. Condoms. The woman blushes as the room bursts into laughter. Meanwhile, Blake has nearly finished his entire perone of wine and smirks, discovering D is only halfway through with his. Suddenly, D snaps, and Blake's perone is refilled with wine. With a grunt, Blake picks up the glassware and begins to chug again, but every time that Blake has nearly finished his glass, it's refilled once again. Damn it! A very drunk Blake comments after the fourth refilling. You're cheating! I'm sorry, big fella, but rules are rules. D smiles, finishing the last of his wine. And I finished my wine far before you did. Why, you've barely even made a dent in that bottle. D smirks, grabbing Blake's paron and drinking down all of Blake's wine in one fell swoop. Blake sighs and grumbles, beginning to walk outside. A man stops him suddenly. He pushes Blake back, warning him of walking outside. Hey, buddy, I, I think you've had too much to drink. We can't let you out there on your own. He sits Blake down on a nearby couch. I mean, don't you have a friend with you? Yeah, but he's off trying to get with some girl. Meanwhile, I'm just here drunk. Still a good night. Well, we all have our goals in life. The man sits by Blake, introducing himself as Ethan. Look, pal, just call an Uber and get home. Good luck with that. Blake laughs sarcastically, pulling out his phone. Son of a bitch went dark the minute I got here. Interesting. Ethan grabs Blake's phone, holding down the power button. Suddenly, the screen bursts forward in a bright white light, nearly blinding Blake. Ah, don't worry, buddy. I think I know what the problem is. Ethan stands up from the couch and walks to the bar. Blake stares as Ethan calls Rebus over and the two begin to argue. Blake pops in and out of consciousness and the argument intensifies. 
He stares down at the bright screen of his phone, squinting as the brightness grew. He looked up, noticing the entire room growing brighter and brighter. Bar patrons were shielding their eyes as a blinding light emitted from the center of the room. Blake squinted his eyes and managed to make out one figure in the center of the room. Ethan? Blake manages to slur out the name of the supposed source of the light, but then he feels his body betray him as he vomits on the floor and passes out. The light that filled the room so vibrantly was suddenly replaced with nothing but black. Oh no, look at that, it's a big scary bl- blinding light. What could it be? Oh no. And then there's the weird chupacabra thing. It's so much intrigue. The world is turned upside down for the BS boys. What will happen next? You'll have to subscribe, true believers, to find out. Anyways, this is, uh, this is a very interesting point in the book because It's really the introduction of the fact that this is not a normal world for the BS. Of course, I did extensive research with them. I found that they love the Dave and Busters. I found that they very much enjoy the Warrant and the John Cena Bad Bad Man. And, uh, you know, music that would be described objectively as bad music these boys really seem to enjoy and there was one bit of uh, intel that they told me um, in the numerous stories of them getting drunk they told me about a location in Atlanta, Georgia referred to as the Red Phone Booth which is uh, I believe what is referred to as a speakeasy which is where you walk up and it's, oh, no, it's just a little phone booth. Look at this. Then you enter in a special code. Turns out there is a man with the alcohol behind there. And I thought, what a perfect idea for this introduction into uh, this brand new world is to have this phone booth here. And it's like Narnia, almost. You open it, and then they walk in, and, oh, yes, all the liquor, and then there's the woman with the with the nice butt there who is uh, going to assist them. It was... I, I very much enjoyed that. Um, this book has a lot of happy accidents, I would say, and one of my favorite happy accidents included... And this is quite a funny anecdote. You'll enjoy this. So I was writing the part of the story where Blake and Scotty are rushing down the street trying to find the correct location and I decided, oh, have them crash into something, maybe a parking meter. And I thought, oh, that's just appropriate and I continued writing the story and this is where it gets funny. They needed quarters to use the phone booth. Well, what would you know? All the quarters are on the ground because they hit... You, they hit the the parking meter, is what I'm saying. I'm saying it was an accident that it happened. I'm not actually that smart. Writing is really just a series of happy accidents that get melded together to form a narrative. Um, and, of course, that is where they meet the bartender, Rebus. They meet the, the butt lady, who we found out is named Eris. If any of you are familiar with Greek mythology, you know who these characters are. I did not try to stray too far away from their traditional names. So, of course, Eris is god of dis 
Discord. Um, not the popular app for the phone where you talk about the Animal Crossing. Just you know, it, it, it's it, it's rife, it's strife, it's it's uh, it's civil unrest that she stands for. And then of course Rebus would be Erebus, God of Darkness. Ah, so if anyone was wondering why their phone went dead and why that man showed up and was full of light at the end. Could be that he is one of the gods in the BS versus the gods title. How interesting. Now, I do feel it would be a bit remiss if I did not bring up the numerous notes from the BS that were peppered throughout this book. I I have no claim over those words. I don't own that. Um, Essentially, I sent off my final draft to the publisher... And I did not understand that the BS had the final edit. So the BS did get to go in, add their own funny little jokes. Apparently, they put in entire cocktail recipes. It was very bizarre. I had written a, an Odyssean classic for these two boys, and then they came in with their goof-goof dildo jokes and just uh, basically ruined my whole vision, but we don't need to focus on that. Anyways, I, uh, I feel like it would be remiss if I did not bring up the opening chapter, because I feel like if you came into this expecting a, a story of the BS, you do certainly get that. But I wanted to make sure the people at home were aware of the stakes. I didn't want them to come in and think, oh, this is just the goof-goof dildos that the BS boys get into. I wanted them to realize that human life was at stake here. So that's why I dedicated that entire opening chapter to Eris, to showing the danger behind her, to showing the anger that she has towards her fellow Grecian gods, which you could say, and of course showing the thrall that she has on people. Of course, Eris's golden apple that we will get back to uh, in a few episodes when we get to the appropriate chapter. Uh, she has a big uh, a thrall, you could say, over people, and people will uh, just com- be commanded to her. And so I wanted to have an entire chapter dedicated to showing just how bad of a woman she is and how powerful she can be utilizing her will say womanly charm and the things that she was able to do so really I, I made sure to include that up front that way the book did not start off with the with the chubby one screaming and opening his podcast i thought we needed to open with a bit more stakes than that so that's where eris's chapter came from and then like i of course said everything after that kind of came from interviews with the bs realizing that you know, they do their fun little podcasts. Scotty is the loud one. Blake is kind of the one who likes to be on Reddit. They're kind of just basic characters. It's a simple, um, how you say, uh, opposites attract situation. You've got Scotty, the big, loud, crazy one. You've got Blake, the quiet one. It's a perfect melding. And somehow they're actually real people. I hate them more than I can physically say on this podcast but ladies and gentlemen this has of course been the bs book club remember if you would like to purchase the book in full you can do that on the amazon Amazon amazon.com you have access to it on kindle we may have hardback versions i don't know 
They don't tell me anything in the ba- in my basement, which is where I live. Um, you can get it there. You can also get the full audiobook version on Audible. I believe if you go to audible.com slash BS Network, you would actually get a free trial. I don't know. It's audibletrial.com slash BS Network. I believe is the title. You can get a free 30-day trial of Audible. It supports us, and you get the audiobook for free. It's a win-win, I'm just saying. And then, of course, make sure to support the entire BS network on Patreon. Patreon.com slash a load of BS. You get access to exclusive content. You get shouted out on whatever show you wish to be shouted out on. It's a wonder. And then, of course, merch.aloadofpurebs.com. These boys, they want to take your money any way they possibly can. They are pickpockets. They are swindlers. They are men that are not to be trusted. Uh, listen to me. These boys are not to be hey. trusted. I, hey. No. What the What the fuck do you think you're... What are you saying? No, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I, I no, didn't, no, 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 no. Don't, don't be lying to these people right now. Saying, they, they, I didn't mean to, They know that the BS are two quality gentlemen that would never try to just steal money from them. Jesus. Hard to find good authors nowadays. See you guys next week.